Welcome to the BABCLA's live Zoom webinar, converted to a podcast. Each episode, you'll hear enlightening interviews on timely subjects with British and American experts across industry. My name is James Language. Good morning. I am the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. I think we've been on lockdown. It's a blur at this point, but I believe it's about four months almost at this point. There's been some ups and downs, but I certainly hope that anyone joining today has had a chance to listen to some of the podcasts. We've had some great responses to them. We've had some absolutely fabulous guests on there, and we will continue with that. Um, We certainly seem to be getting a lot of interest in these live cast events where we have audience participation. I love it. It's great because we get some great questions. So anyway, that's enough about me. We have some more people joining. Good morning, everybody. So, um, Professor Warburton, would you um, take a second just to introduce yourself, please? Yeah, thanks a lot, um, James. So, I'm, I'm David Warburton. I'm, as you can tell, I'm British. I trained in medicine at St. Thomas's Hospital in London. And uh, then I went to Harvard and Brown, and I've been out here on the left coast for about 40 years at the Children's Hospital Los Angeles and University of South California. I'm an expert in global health and uh, also newborn medicine and some scientific aspects of medicine. So I'm very pleased to be here and it's uh, fun to provide this for the British community. Thank you, David. We are absolutely delighted to have you back. Um, thank you so much for your time this morning. Morning, Jonathan. How are you today? Good morning, James. Very good. Very good indeed. So it's exciting to, to be back here and having the opportunity to, to answer some questions that people have, but also just to give a little bit of insight because lots going on uh, with the UK with the new quarantine regulations and airlines starting up operations again. Um, but just very briefly, I uh, am the Vice President of Sales and Client Relations at Cornish Travel. We're a West Hollywood-based travel management company. We look after both corporations. We do leisure travel as well, and we also have our own dedicated Africa division. Uh, but I also have a background in airlines. I was with British Airways for 15 years, and I also worked for Air New Zealand for three years, running their corporate uh, operation here in the US. And uh, I also have a wife who works for British Airways, so I have a little bit of insider information if anybody has any, uh, any questions. Wonderful, Jonathan. Thank you. Good morning, everyone who's just joining. This is a live cast of the BABCLA. Wonderful to have you on. Just to remind anybody, your questions are so, so important during this live cast. At the bottom of your screen is a Q&A section. I am moderating the questions. Any questions you have, don't worry about what they are. Send them to me and we will do our very best to get through every single one of them. It's a very important time right now with travel. Um, there's so much going on. Jonathan, just the first question to you. Um, yeah. We spoke about, I believe it was about a month ago. Sure. What has, if give me a two minute blurb, what's happened between since the last time we spoke until now? What can you tell us? Well, firstly, I think it's very encouraging, James, because uh, we're certainly seeing a ramp up from airlines. Airlines are definitely ramping up their operations, both domestically here in the US and, and the UK. As I think you all know, British Airways has been operating throughout this pandemic. They've been having a daily flight from LA to London. Uh, but what's also very exciting is that Virgin Atlantic's uh, going to be coming back. So uh, July 20th, 
they're going to start operating in LA London service as well. Also, the air, airports basically have been following CDC guidelines and have been implementing new protocols at the airport. And uh, it, we may have a chance to talk about it, but I did have the opportunity to visit LAX myself uh, on Monday and uh, got to see what they're basically doing with the Delta operation there, the new protocols, social distancing, electrostatic cleaning on aircraft, etc. So basically, airlines are ramping up gradually. Uh, it isn't a huge increase. But what also is very encouraging, um, I was talking to one of the US carriers, they are seeing as high as 56% of their corporate customers traveling again. Now, that number sounds enormous, um, but when you put it into perspective, it's like one or two passengers per corporation. But it's very encouraging to see that, you know, corporations are starting to travel again. It is predominantly domestic, obviously, because there are so many restrictions in place internationally. But we are also seeing hotels as well, hotels opening up again throughout the state, throughout the country and globally. But again, they're opening with new protocols, touchless check-in, you name it. So it's really, it's happening. We are reopening and travel is, is starting again. Thank you, Jonathan. That's a wonderful update. I appreciate that. Professor, as restrictions are eased and we're in this coming into the summer months, people want to run down to the beach usually because they've been stuck inside. And I understand that. What's your advice on that? Because we're seeing a resurgence in, a, in some areas of people contracting COVID-19. I mean, what's your thoughts? Yeah, so I think it's a multi-level challenge. The bottom line is that this virus hasn't changed. It's still just as infectious. And there's still a lot of fresh meat out there to be infected. So from the medical point of view, you need to be careful with this thing because it can be lethal. So, but then from the psychological point of view, being stuck inside is not good. And you want to get out and get some fresh air and you think the beach is safe because it's open and so on. And there's something to that. So, uh, but, and then of course there are commercial issues of needing to get some cash flowing around the country. But it still remains the truth that this virus is spread by respiratory droplets. So if you're in an environment where there are respiratory droplets, you're liable to catch it. Now the carrier rate is, depending on what population you're in, I thought there was a very interesting statistic from the military academy when they had their graduation last week. They had tested all the cadets that had come back from all across the country. That's about 1,200 cadets. And they found 15 cadets that were carrying the virus. So that is, if you take that as an average across the whole country, that's you know 15 out of 1,000 people are carrying the virus. They actually are shedding it. So if you're in LA, it's going to be higher than that. If you're in Florida, it's going to be higher than that. And if you're someplace like Alabama, they're, they're still on the up curve. So it depends a lot on where you're going and so on. Now, on the other hand, if you wear a mask and wash your hands and protect your eyes, it's very difficult for the droplets to jump into your airway or up your nose. So if you do those reasonable precautions, you can cut down the, the risk of being infected quite a lot. But I, I'm in a high-risk group. I'm over 70 and... Uh, I'm not traveling at the moment. My wife did. She went to Savannah to look after our grandchild. 
But when she went, she looked like Lawrence of Arabia in a sandstorm. I mean, she was really wrapped up with masks and glasses and all that stuff. And she was washing everything down with bleach. <laughs> you know, she got away with it. So it's somewhere between these extremes. Are we a ways off from any kind of vaccine? I know that this week it was announced, I think it was yesterday, that in the UK they've discovered a certain steroid, a low-cost steroid, that certainly helps. Yeah, this is not news, okay? So this steroid is something that's given in ICUs as a drug of last resort in many situations. But what they did in the UK was they did a controlled trial of administration of this drug dexamethasone in people who are very sick on the ventilator and people who are on oxygen. So if you're on the ventilator already, you have a 60% chance of dying. But if you have steroids, it cuts it down to 30%. Mm. So if you're happy with a 30% chance of dying on steroids, that's good news, right? Right. It is not a cure and it is not a preventative because they, get, they gave it to people who were just on oxygen and it made very little difference. No, so it's not something you can take. You can't, you know, you should be taking steroids to prevent COVID, okay? It's a last resort, that's what you're saying. Yeah, and what it does is it damps down the major inflammation in your body that you get in end-stage COVID disease. That's what it's doing. So it's the reaction to the virus that it is controlling. Mm. Thank you, David. Good morning, everyone who's just tuning in right now. Uh, we are getting some questions that I'm about to start fielding. Uh, we have two fabulous guests on today, Professor David Warburton and Jonathan Cowley of Connie's Travel. Jonathan, let's jump straight into a question for you. And, and David, feel free to jump in on anything. I want this to be as conversational as possible. Right. And, li- and likewise, Jonathan. But this sure. one's for you, Jonathan, from Mike Brewer. Good morning, Mike. Mike uh, has said, mine is travel related. He is a UK citizen working in California on a TV show and holds an O-1 visa. It's very important for that TV show that he gets back to California urgently. People are losing jobs. There's, we're talking about getting the economy going again. What do you suggest, Jonathan? What's going on? Well, it's very complex because there are so many uh, visa classifications out there. And the bottom line is, is that certain individuals on certain visas are being allowed back into the country and others aren't. So I I have got a a list and something I'd like to recommend to people is there is actually an IATA website, which some of you may know about. The Telegraph was actually talking about it, where it actually details the travel restrictions for each country. It shows you a global map. And you can just click on each country and then it will tell you which countries are allowing who in. So, for example, for the U.S., it tells you about the fact that you can come in if you're a national or permanent resident of the United States or if you have spouses of nationals and also parents, legal guardians of unmarried and children who are younger than 21 years. It does also list the visas that are allowed for individuals to enter the country. So I would strongly recommend clicking on that map. I'll give you the link after the uh, after the call, James, so you can share with everybody. But the to a specific visa, I can't give an answer to that right now. I'll certainly look into it. I'll be very happy to, and we can then share the answer. But right now, I'm looking at the website, and it says that passengers, for example, with A1s, A2s, C1s are allowed into the country. But it doesn't give any specifics with regard to the O visas. 
but I'll certainly be happy to follow up on that. So after the call, if you can get in the contact details for who asked that question, um, I'll be happy to follow up. Just real quick, Mike Brewer has asked, what was that website again? I'd like to write that out so he has that. Yeah, it is actually, it's pretty long. What's the name of it? What can you do search? It's the iartatravelcenter.com. So if you go on to iarta, A-I-A-T-A, and then center, spelled C-E-N-T-R-E.com. If you click on there, there is a link to their international travel document news. And that is a map. There's the map that will be able to find uh, that specific information. Jonathan, I'm going to give you Mike's email just so you have it. Great. I'll, I'll reach out to him. Jonathan, um, David, sorry, I jumped in. Yeah, there. No, 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 it's all good. I just had a supplementary question to this because it's the issue of isolation, right? So if, right now, if you travel to the UK, you're, it's recommended that you spend two weeks in self-imposed isolation. Is there any similar recommendation in traveling to the States? So if you look at what the US is currently stating, there is nothing that is as strict as the UK regulations, whereby you are required to self-isolate for 14 days uh, to have no interaction with any individuals. If you click on the US map right now, it just gives you the list of exemptions Mm -hmm. and also states the countries that uh, you are not allowed to travel from. So as an example, the UK currently, if you've been in the UK in the last 14 days and you are not one of the exempt individuals, you can't enter the United States. But with regard to self-isolation, there aren't currently any formal regulations in place, similar to what we have in the UK. So the UK is is extremely strict compared to the United States. Well, I think the UK has taken a a leaf out of the Mongolians' book, actually. Now, this is the one country in the world where they've had no lateral spread and no deaths. Right. Because we spend a lot of effort in that country teaching them how to do public health. Right. And so... I think it's something to think about. If your colleague is flying back from the UK, he needs to think about who he's going to be exposing himself to right. here in the US. So it's not a good idea to fly back and go and see your 90-year-old granny. Right. That is not a good idea because granny has an 80% chance of dying of COVID if she catches it. So I think it's something to think about. and mm. I think it would be very, very difficult to enforce in the US because you've got 50 different state jurisdictions and there's many, many more city jurisdictions and so forth. But it's, it's not a bad idea if you don't want to spread this thing. What, what is interesting very quickly, uh, David, is that the majority of people who've reached out to me to, to travel back to the UK, a large proportion of them are to visit loved ones who are unwell in the UK, which is very interesting. I mean, obviously, they're not allowed to see them for 14 days while they self-isolate. Uh, and well, then subsequently... They well, are. if they're in a nursing home, they won't be allowed to see them at all anyway. Right, right, exactly. Very true. We have, um, we have a raised hand from Annabelle Gray. Annabelle, we're gonna, I'm just going to allow you to talk. We're going to try a different kind of question here. Um, you, I'm going to add you in now. Hello, Annabelle. Hi there. I've just typed my question. May I send it? Absolutely. Would you prefer to do that rather than ask it live? Yeah, there it is. Oh, fabulous. Okay. Um, well, let me ask the question then in that case. I hold dual UK-US passports and live in Los Angeles. Currently, she's in Jersey in the Channel Islands, fabulous part of the world, and is waiting to get out there when there are, but there are four active cases. 
I'm in a high risk group with underlying conditions. Realistically, when do you think it'll be safe to fly back via Heathrow? David, you want to go with that first of all? Yeah, well, um, you know, I don't know what the population of Jersey is, but that sounds on the face of it a fairly low rate of, of active infections in Jersey. We don't know, you know, what they're, we don't know how many people are out there carrying it, okay? Let's assume you haven't got it for the moment, personally. Then you need to protect yourself on the flight and you need to isolate for the two weeks when you get back to the UK. If you do those things, you'll probably be all right. Okay. Jonathan? Um, so um, this is a moving feast, but what I can tell you is, is that officially, if you're coming from the Channel Islands or from Ireland or from the Isle of Man, you actually don't need to self-isolate because you are effectively classified as exempt. So those individuals, firstly, don't need to register. They don't even need to fill out the form that all travelers currently are required to complete when entering the UK. Uh, and again, I'll pass out of that link to everybody where you need to fill in that form. But right now, if you're from Ireland, the Channel Islands, or the Isle of Man, you are exempt. So you can enter the UK and you do not need to self-isolate at this time. No, but whether you need to or whether you should is, are two different things, right? Okay. And so the decision to travel is really one about your, your personal tolerance for risk, right? Because you're exposing yourself to other people when you travel, you're in a confined environment with other people. And so these are the kind of places where droplets can spread. So it, it depends on whether you think your mask and your hand washing is going to protect you enough so you don't catch it. That is a great point, David. And if you're over 70 and you're a high-risk person, you are playing Russian roulette with a loaded revolver, okay, with several bullets in the chamber. So I think it's a matter of your personal tolerance for risk and how badly you need to get back to the UK. So really, David, it's more of a question of, it just comes back to this non-essential and essential travel. Yeah. That's is really what it is. If we used to say in World War Two, is your journey really necessary? Right. You know? But that's what makes this so tough because on the face of it, if people have been isolating, people have not seen what really happened. I mean, people who have not caught COVID-19, who have self-isolated, who've done all the things that they wanted to do, and now they're at the point where the kids are out of school. Let's look at it like that. The kids are out of school and they want to do something. But we right. still have to be so, so cautious. If you've done it properly, you are the fresh meat. Right. You know, so, and if the virus jumps into you, you're going to catch it. Right. So we've got to be careful. But people who are looking to travel, if they want to take that summer vacation, Jonathan, are you seeing an uptick in domestic travel? Are people wanting to rent Private, est private estates, private houses, because like, are the hotels opening their swimming pools? Is that what we're starting to see? What are, what's going on? So, yes, I mean, we certainly are seeing a, a number of hotels, both in the state and also nationally, that are opening. And they are opening with new protocols. So, for example, one of the hotels that I love uh, down here is Pelican Hill. Now, they, they have reopened, um, but they're having to open with new protocols related to the swimming pool because 
Obviously, they don't want large volumes of people in the pool at the same time. Um, they have protocols with regard to, you know, wiping down any high touch areas around the pool, the handles, you know, walking into the pool. Um, but certainly we are seeing individuals in the short term looking for more localized holidays. So people who normally would, you know, be looking for maybe that Italian vacation are now saying, well, maybe I'll go away for a short break to Santa Barbara or to down to San Diego. So we definitely are seeing people starting to, to book uh, locally. Uh, we are also seeing people um, booking to travel domestically. So because there is now an increase in domestic flights, um, we definitely are seeing individuals who potentially have family around the country. Uh, and one thing that's very interesting is that Marriott, I was on a webinar with them a couple of weeks ago, and their CEO was stating that a huge, a very high percentage of their occupancy in the United States is domestic, which really surprised me that it's, it's in the high 80s, uh, 80%, that basically their business comes from local uh, individuals. So you're going to find that that will increase, that people continue to book locally. But of course, there's no consistency here. Um, you cannot say, well, all pools are now open. So some hotels are opening pools based on the size of the pool, whether they can do social distancing. Whereas if a hotel has a small pool, maybe they aren't opening it. So there's no sort of standard answer there, James. But definitely, yeah, pools are reopening and hotels for sure. Thank you. So, Jonathan, we talked a little bit about traveling for work. Are we really starting to see non-essential travel starting to come back now? Are, are there more? You talked about some options to England. There's probably got to be a lot of options domestically. What is your advice to travellers at the moment? What's it like? What's it actually like to get on a plane right now? Well, firstly, what I can say is, is that, yes, we are seeing people travelling uh, for non-essential reasons. I think, you know, going back to David's point, it, it's about a risk assessment. I mean, you as an individual need to make that risk assessment. Is it totally required that you travel and if it is uh, you need to make sure that you have all the precautions in place and in fact i have a, a, a question for david related to that in a second but definitely we are seeing some non-essential travel we are seeing people wanting to take breaks i myself uh, am currently looking at some options to go to palm desert for uh, you know a long weekend uh, because we need to get the children out and i i myself and my wife could do with, with having a bit of a break but what I can say is, I, as I said, I recently went to LAX and it was, it was great because it gave me an opportunity to, to see what the uh, airlines are doing in order to reduce the risk. And I had the chance to go out with uh, Delta Airlines to go and look at their checking counters, their lounges. I got to see how they do the electrostatic spraying. And also they, they shared with us these little, little packs that they're now giving to all customers, which basically is a little briefing from their CEO, but actually inside it, they give you a mask and they give you two little hand sanitizers as well. Again, no consistency there. Um, some airlines are providing masks, some aren't. But what is very interesting, and, and this is where I'd like to ask David a question, is that the US carriers are all coming together uh, because they want to insist that uh, customers wear masks when flying. And in fact, they're all coming together, seven airlines actually in the US are coming together to potentially start banning passengers if they refuse to wear masks on board. 
There is obviously not currently a US government requirement, so it's obviously not the same as smoking on board, where you can, it's a federal crime to smoke on board, but the US airlines are all kind of coming together to address this issue. And David, there's, there's one I think is quite interesting. We recently, one of our airline partners, uh, made a recommendation that if you have these disposable masks, uh, that you effectively change them every four hours. Now, is that does that make sense? Because we, we most airlines are not requiring that, but there is one airline in particular that says you should have enough masks to change it every four hours. Yeah, that means you'd need two masks to fly across the country, right? Right. Um, well, there's something to be said for that in terms of, of the function of one of those surgical masks. When they get, they, they get wet with your exhaled moisture, and so the wetter they get, the less efficacious they are because the, the, the viruses moves in respiratory droplets. And really the point of the mask is to stop you infecting somebody else. So when you cough or speak, the mask will catch those droplets on the inside of the mask. The masks are less efficacious for stopping somebody else infecting you. So this is why everybody has to wear a mask on an airplane, right? Because you're wearing your mask to protect somebody else from what you've got, really. And to reduce the risk to you somewhat, but it's really the outgoing spray that you're catching with the mask. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So actually I think making everybody wear a mask makes perfect sense or some kind of face covering, you know, a double bandana or a yashmak or something, you know, <laughs> right. I think, and this is of course why in these other cultures, mask wearing is so prevalent because people have figured out, Hey, you don't get so sick when you wear a mask. If you're a Muslim or a, Chinese person or something that's, so, uh, become, jump, that's jumping, the jumping in there and that's a great point there David why are we is it the western world is that the right way to say it why are we so slow to the table on that then we just don't want to do it we don't want to listen what is it is well, just think, something fundamentally well, I think, that I think like. people I think people see it as an infringement upon their personal freedom and they're not used to having something wrapped around their face and it's you know you get used to it but it's not that pleasant Right, a mask on, but you do oh, it. Certainly. I mean, you do it to protect other people. Is what we're talking about now? And good morning to anyone who's just joining us. This is the uh, British American Business Council Los Angeles live cast. We have our two wonderful guests, Professor David Warburton and Jonathan Cowley from Connie's Travel, answering questions this morning. We just hit upon wearing a mask on the plane, changing it every four hours. I believe the airline is British Airways. It's actually imposed. It just yeah. mentioned that recently. Yeah, no, it, that's very good advice. Is this going to get, are there going to be more, I mean, it's evolving. We, no one knows what really right now, but right. Is, what, what can we, is this going to get more restrictions? I'm not going to say worse. Is there well, going I to think, be more safety? Well, it's, going Sorry, to be more a matter of, it's going to be more a matter of changing people's behavior. So we, we did a lot of work on mask wearing in Mongolia, actually, for a different reason. That was pollution. But people didn't wear them very much. But now you look at what's going on in Mongolia, everybody's wearing a mask all the time, unless they're way out in the middle of nowhere. So I think it's a matter of changing people's perception about a mask. Your mask is your friend, right? It's gonna stop you catching COVID and it's gonna stop you giving it to somebody else. Got it. We just had, a, I've got to ask this question because this has just come in, it's a great question, a little bit of a lighter mood as well. Michael mm -hmm. Lane has just asked, 
He knows that all three of us have strong facial hair. Does that have any impact on the effectiveness of a facial mask, David? Well, well it depends on what kind of a thing you're talking about. So if, you, if you're talking about, um, you know, military gases, this is the reason why in the, in the American forces they require everybody to be clean-shaven because then your military gas mask fits properly. But as far as surgical masks or just cloth masks, it doesn't really make a lot of difference. In fact, having a bit of face fungus might be good, right? <laughs> might catch some of the drips, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Jonathan, we have a live question from you, from Jim Koran. I'm just, he's got his hand raised, I'm gonna bring him in. Good morning, Jim. Jim, hello, good morning. I Hi, how are you? Very good, thank you. Welcome. Good. To our, Hi, Jonathan. Uh, Hi, my, Jim. How are you doing? One of my co-workers. <laughs> Love him. He's great. I have two quick questions to ask you regarding this wearing the masks, particularly on long-haul flights. So what we're hearing is they want everybody from the time they get to the airport to wear a mask, and yet when you get on the plane, you're to wear the mask unless meals are being served. Well, then you got a plane full of people removing their masks to eat food, possibly to be coughing and drinking or whatever. And are you increasing the risks then of people getting exposed even in that half hour period of time that people may not be wearing a mask? Yes. <laughs> That's the you know short saying? It's sort of like it's a, it's, um, it's a little bit of, you have to either wear the mask the whole time or not mm-hmm. wear it at all. I mean, you well, know. yeah. That's gonna be a little I mean, bit tricky, I think. I That's think a great question. Tricky. So, so the question, I guess the question would be how, how much respiratory droplet load could you shed in half an hour eating your dinner? And I guess we don't know that, but you raise a very interesting point. Unless they well, just serve liquid meals and you just stick it through a straw and they put a hole in the mask and you just suck it right through the... Right. I always have gin and tonic with a straw for lunch. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, that's one way to get around it. But then that's another great, that's another great point. And Jonathan, I know you're aware mm-hmm. of this. A lot of the airlines are stopping serving alcohol in, in the immediate Correct. short term. Now, David and Jonathan, I'd like Jonathan to go first, but David, it's proven that alcohol lowers your to- alcohol has an effect on you, it lowers your immune system. Yeah. So does that make you more susceptible to it? It lowers your inhibitions as well. <laughs> well, that's a whole different story, and a couple, uh, that's for another day. I mean, you get know, more people not uh, wanting to wear their masks because they've had a couple cocktails in them. Exactly. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. So, so the airlines, yes, across the board, generally, most have majority have removed alcohol from their menu, and one of the the factors is simply that it reduces the amount of time that you you have your mask off. So, what the airlines are doing now, and and BA is a good example. They they're now bringing out packaged boxed meals. So. When you go on the plane, your, your meal is going to look very different to how it used to. And in fact, I'll share a link with everybody so you can see what BA is doing on board. And effectively, you're getting a pre-packaged meal that has a bottle of water and then all of your food. Um, and in fact, I think going to LA, going to London right now, BA is only serving hot food in first class. So if you're traveling in business class, premium economy or economy, you will effectively get a cold meal. But the idea was to stop or to reduce the amount of time that people have their masks off. So at this stage, yes, alcohol has been removed from the menu. And as a Brit, that's challenging for a 10-hour flight to not be able to have your G&T. 
Absolutely. Jonathan, by the way, uh, Jim, thank you for your question. Just moving on for a bit. But David, did you want to add something to that? I was just ruminating on the issue of social behavior and masks. And I think the social change that needs to occur is that um, mask wearing needs to be viewed as polite and a social norm, right? So you're being polite to other people by wearing your mask and they're being polite to you by wearing theirs. It's sort of like in the old days, we used to raise our hat to a lady, you know, mm -hmm. right. and uh, when we had hats. And it's something, that level of social acceptance is something that we need to work towards. Where it's just automatic that you wear a mask when you go outside, when you're going to be near other people. It's already like that. If you go to Trader Joe's, you automatically put on a mask. Right. Is this, so just while we're, we're sitting on this for a second, is this it? Is this what it's going to be now going forwards? Is there ever going to be a change where we don't have to wear masks? Well, I think it depends on the on what happens with the immunity to this virus, right? So if we if we ever get to herd immunity where seventy percent of people have had it and have antibodies and it can't spread, then we may not need to do this until the next time. And the well, other we're talking one, a long time now. We're talking yeah, a, yeah. a while. Right. The other one is vaccines, right? So it's a coronavirus. There's never been a successful vaccine for coronavirus. Um, inshallah, one of these vaccines out there, 16 or 60, whatever it is, different kinds of vaccines. One of them will, well, some of them do provide antibodies and whether they're effective antibodies is another question. But I don't think we can rely on, on there being a vaccine. It would be lovely if there was. But if we could get that, then we could get herd immunity through vaccination then we could stop all this. Jonathan, hypothetical question for you here. Then we have a live question from Ian Lehman coming in. But Jonathan, let's say we, you travel to a resort and the resort allows you in, but you need to wear face masks and the arriving people there refuse to wear face masks. Are we going to start seeing tourists being refused entry to hotels? Are they going to be, are, are airlines going to start refusing passengers if they refuse to wear a face mask? What is the legal stance on that is there a challenge legally that people could say you're infringing on my human rights what are your thoughts yeah I, I think it's early days right now james i think the the airlines that are addressing this right now it's a body called the airlines of america i think is really the first step towards trying to get some sort of regulation in place because at the end of the day, um, when I talk to customers, and as I say, it's encouraging that I'm talking more and more to customers, is that they're all about feeling comfortable. And how are they feeling comfortable? Well, that's seeing some overt cleaning. They want to see people cleaning surfaces. They want to see their fellow passengers wearing face masks. My recent trip to LAX, I had to ask our tour guide whether it was mandatory to wear face masks at LAX. I thought that was the case. And he said, yes, that is definitely the case. But when I looked around the terminal, there was a number of passengers not wearing face masks. Well, it is a mandatory requirement, but there is no policing of it. So I think right now, it, at the moment, it's kind of a soft policing where uh, the airlines are saying to passengers on board, it, we strongly urge you to wear your face masks. But if somebody isn't wearing a face mask at this stage, there isn't any formal requirement and that's where I think we need to get to. But again, we also need to realize that, you know, individuals are going to want to have some sort of freedom. So when they're amongst their, their family, for example, 
you know, when I have my family here, I'm not wearing a mask, but then when I'm out in public, I am. But at this stage, I think it's very early days, James. And I think the airlines are trying to implement something that, uh, I mean, if they do move forward with their plans, they will start banning customers. If you refuse to wear a mask on board their plane, you will effectively be on a blacklist and you will not be able to fly with that airline again. And uh, at this stage, I think that's a good thing. If you think back to what the norms were for smoking, right? I mean, it used to be everybody was exposed to smoke in a big way on the aircraft and the, the hostesses were getting sick because they were chronically exposed to pea soup smoke. Then it became illegal to smoke on airplanes. People accepted that. It's illegal to smoke in the bathroom. That's a federal offense. So, and that's broadly accepted by the, by the country, I think. And so potentially if everybody agrees, this is, or a majority agree, this is a good thing to do. We could see this becoming a federal regulation, I would think. But it raises another question as well. Being on an aeroplane, nature takes its course and passengers need to get up and use the bathroom. People want to get up and stretch their legs. What's the protocol on that? Because whilst you're in, in a place on the plane and you're sat still, at some point you get up and move around. Is there any thoughts going into that, Jonathan? Well, one of the things that a number of airlines are doing, so boarding. So let's just talk a little bit about the boarding process because what they want to avoid is having this backlog of customers waiting in line on the plane as they're boarding. So what they are doing now, and it, it, again, there's no consistency here, but I have seen a couple of airlines, including Delta, who are only allowing a maximum of 10 passengers to board at any one time. And Delta is also um, boarding from the back of the plane forward. So the idea being is that you are not passing already pre-seated passengers. But there is, there's always exceptions. And the exception is that if you're traveling in first class, you can still board at your leisure. Now, obviously, the airlines are reducing capacity. So uh, in first class, you won't see two people seated together. And of course, again, there are exceptions there as well, because the airlines are removing middle seats right now so they can have that that distancing but what is also going on is uh, if you're traveling with a family member obviously you are allowed to sit together but i think again it's strongly encouraged that people are not wandering about the plane uh, there's no formal regulation but again you know it, it's strongly recommended that people stay in their seat for the remainder of the plane they are going to have to go to the restroom and some yeah. airlines are even implementing uh, cleaning protocols for the, the restrooms, uh, whereby they're looking at foggers for the toilet. So every time somebody goes in, it could fog the restroom. So, you know, people have to go to the restroom. That's the bottom line. And, and well, can't... this virus is shed in fecal material. Right. So especially if you've got diarrhea or something and you go to, you go to the restroom on the airplane, you've contaminated the pot and probably the air in there as well. Right. So these are real issues. Gosh, yes, something to think about. Um, okay, Ian, we're going to bring you in. Are you there, Ian? Let's just see. Yes, hi, James. Can you hear Ian, me? Ian, how are you? Good morning. Good morning. Very well. Ian, Ian Lehman, fellow member of the British American Business Council board member. Wonderful to have you, Ian. How are you? Right. Thank you very, very well. Loving this conversation. Thanks for hosting it, James. My um, pleasure. I, I, wish it were a, I wish it were a question for David and his brilliantly analytical uh, perspectives on things but this one's uh, for Jonathan okay. um, and it's this so I'm a UK passport holder 
living in the States with a green card. And so I'm probably quite representative of a lot of our members. My question is, am I able to travel to the UK and then return to the US and cross both borders without problem? Yes. Well, hi, Ian. Um, well, based on current regulations, you are entitled to enter the UK. Uh, I'll see again as long as you self-isolate for 14 days, uh, which uh, having a discussion with a friend of mine the other day, I mean, as Americans, we don't get a ton of um, vacation time anyway. So having to self-isolate and then officially go on vacation, but not, not be allowed to do anything is, is a challenge. But as you're a UK passport holder, yes, you can enter the UK self-isolate for 14 days. And then the current regulations for the USA entry is that you can enter the US from any country where there is a flight operating, as long as you are a national or a permanent resident of the United States. So if you're a green card holder, you are classified as a permanent resident of the United States. So based on current information available, you would be entitled to enter the United Kingdom and then return to the USA as a, a permanent resident. Well, that's very clear. Th thanks for the explanation. Although having had the immediately heard the immediately prior discussion about the dangers inherent in right. air travel right now, whatever happens at the borders is probably the least of our worries. Uh, from what uh, yeah. David explained, it sounds like a pretty hazardous environment. It's, uh, it's that difference between us. I think really what we've got to hit home on, which I'm getting out of it, as, and I love to travel, but is it essential? Is it essential? Do you absolutely have to do it? Or is it something that can wait? And David, when we say wait, how much longer do we need to wait, do you think, David, before it's safe to get on a plane again? Well, I think it's relatively safe to get on a plane providing you follow the protocols of wearing a mask and, and, and hand washing and cleaning your environment. For it to be risk-free, I think that's going to be a long time, very long time. Well, I'm talking, you know, at least one year. Mm. So I'm going to punt that one back to you then, Jonathan. You know, the economics of this, limited seating. You know, there are some fabulous hotels in the world. There are some wonderful airlines. And what are they, I mean, they've got to stay in business. Or else they're going to, if, we, if there's no more travel, there's no more businesses in that, in that market. So what can we expect to see? I mean, one thing is to offer a cheap deal, but that's still not going to solve this problem. What do you think you can see? What's the kind of marketing that the, the travel companies are going to be doing over the next few months, next year? Well, I think, again, we're, we're sort of very early stages here, but right now, you know, the airlines are blocking seats and we have to, as you say, from the economics, um, is that sustainable long-term? No, it isn't. I mean, the airlines, if they're losing 40, 50% of their capacity, one of the, the big bonuses for airlines right now is that they're flying a lot of cargo. So as we know, PPE is being flown uh, around, around the globe. Um, so certain airlines are now adapting. A good example is BA have changed their aircraft operating LA London. It's now uh, 7879, the Dreamliner. They used to operate the A380. Uh, in fact, they had an A380, a 747 and a 787. But the 787 from a cargo capacity is a much more efficient aeroplane and also 
from a fuel efficiency perspective. But we are seeing, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing some price increases in certain markets where there is that demand and there's limited capacity. So just talking to some of our friends from Brits in LA, they've been commenting on the pricing going to the UK. And there is definitely, if you don't book early enough, there is going to be a, an increase in, in what you're normally expecting to pay. Obviously, again, from the hotel perspective, hotels are in a similar position. Obviously, it's slightly easier from a social distancing perspective because you're staying in an individual room. So there's not that uh, requirement. But what they are, are having to do is in restaurants, for example, they're not able to fill the restaurant. So revenues are down in restaurants. Um, but it's slightly different for hotels. But from an airline perspective, yes, I, I, we're already seeing uh, an increase in pricing on, in certain markets. What would you say to, we're, we're, good morning everyone, if you're joining now, we're, we're wrapping up soon, but so, so wonderful to have you to another British American Business Council Los Angeles live cast with our guests this morning, Jonathan Cowley from Connie's Travel and Professor David Warburton. Thank you gentlemen for being on, this is wonderful. We've got time for a few more questions. One question that I was asked of me is, the next big, tra I mean, we're in the summer season now and we may, I mean, obviously there's not as much travel going on, but the next two popular travel holidays coming up that we're going to see are Thanksgiving and a Christmas, Christmas holidays or whatever you choose to call them. Should people be preparing to travel? Should they be looking at booking a trip? Jonathan, what do you suggest? Well, if people are intending to travel, I mean, it, it's, it's always recommend you book as early as possible. Because and can they come to you for that, Jonathan? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, we, we've been around for a very long time. One of the big benefits of coming to us is that we're available 24-7. You don't have to wait on a telephone call for four or five hours. The airlines, we're working very closely with them. We're great partners. And we're supporting them because they don't have the resources to handle the volume of, of calls that they're getting. So yes, you can come to us. Now, of course, it goes back to David's point about uh, the risk assessment. You know, are you going to fly back to your elderly parents who potentially are at a high risk for contracting the disease? And um, so really, again, it's down to personal, um, as I keep saying, this risk assessment. But certainly Christmas, the holidays, everyone wants to be with their loved ones. But it's really until there is this herd immunity or a vaccine in place, it's going to be down to the individual. But the airlines, you know, we are seeing some significant ramping up of flights. A good example is, is China. I mean, China, um, they've had a, a recent blip in their road, but um, they are actually up to over 90% of their domestic flights are operating right now. Again, they're at reduced capacity, but no, there definitely will be availability over the holidays. But again, it's, it's down to your personal preference and, and risk assessment. Uh, we have uh, Jim, he's got his hand raised. I'm going to unmute Jim. I think you may have another question, then I'm going to come back with some as well. Hi, Jim. Can you hear me? Yes, Jim. Good morning yeah, again. I didn't, no, I didn't have another question. You answered the Oh. The bathroom one was an interesting comment, though. That's interesting. I didn't think about the bathrooms. It wouldn't be an English podcast if we didn't have some toilet humor. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yes, it's disgusting, I call it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are coming up to, we have a few minutes left, and I just want to personally thank uh, both of you, Professor David Warburton and Jonathan. You're both great friends of mine as well. 
out of out of this discussion and it's wonderful to have you on if you had to sum up you know we've all had our own challenges the last few months if you had to sum up where you think this is now going and give something back to our listeners and the people who are listening to this podcast after a sense of hope maybe what what would you tell them and i'm going to come to you first date uh jonathan well i think that um so james thank you for your, for your comments and yeah it's always a pleasure to uh, to chat with both you and david but um what we are I, I i'm hopeful is that there's a lot of talk about travel bubbles and i'm sure people have heard that phrase being used before um australia and new zealand are certainly talking a lot about this whereby where there are low-risk countries that feel that they're in a position, the R rate is at an acceptable level. Um, you know, New Zealand is doing a fabulous job, although, again, they've had a recent blip in their road. I think that this travel bubble concept is a very good idea. And I think that what will be interesting is to see where the UK quarantine regulations go, uh, because it is being challenged by all the major UK and European airlines. So BA, Virgin, Ryanair, EasyJet are all challenged over this. Um, but as David said, you know, there is some history behind that, but it, it kind of worked in, in Mongolia. So maybe who knows how long this is going to be in place. But in the short term, the UK is, is going to be significantly impacted with of tourism. Uh, there may be uh, some, some corporate travel with a 14-day restriction or 14-day quarantine. That, that certainly is making people think twice about entering the United Kingdom. But as I say, very positive to see that airlines are implementing fogging airplanes overnight. And you will see that aircraft might start getting delayed uh, because obviously the priority is that they're clean. So if a plane comes in late, they're not going to rush it to turn around to get it out on time because the priority is now cleaning. And, and I really do believe the airlines are, are, are implementing this across the board. So. I personally can't wait to jump on a plane um, and I intend to do it relatively soon. So, and when I do, I'll share that with uh, everybody. We look forward to hearing that. Thanks, Jonathan. Hi, David, how about you? Well, I think the old British maxim, is your journey really necessary? Is a good thing to think about. The other one is that mask wearing works and it's being courteous to your fellow man. You know, you should wear your mask as a sign of courtesy to other people. So I think if we can do those two things and then also wash our hands, wash our surfaces, I'm very glad to hear that the airlines are taking the decontamination very seriously and the social distancing very seriously. Because if the bug can't jump from one person to another, it's going to die out. Mm. So, but then again, it comes down to your personal risk assessment of whether you think it's worth taking the risk to you or to the people that you're going to visit to make this to make this journey very true thanks david i guess my take on it is is exactly how both of what you've said just dealing with what your comments is is it essential are you using i mean look at look at this wonderful technology that has been around for a while but we're utilizing it much more now than we ever have zoom has become a daily part of my life and it wasn't before um, I speak to more people now than I on a daily basis than I think I did it in the past. I really believe that it's a wonderful no, tool. Zoom is a game changer, and yep. FaceTime FaceTime is another one. Yeah, absolutely. I talk, my, I talk to my baby grandson every day for an hour. 
I wouldn't normally, I wouldn't have been able to do that before. Right. Absolutely. That's the key to it. That's where I'm going with this. I think we've got to stay close and yeah. be patient. And I think if you've got elderly parents in the UK or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, get on FaceTime with them, get, get somebody to show them how to do it. Yeah. You know. That's some great, that's just great. I love that. Well, everybody, thank you so much for listening today. What a wonderful discussion. Many more to follow. And you have been listening to the British American Business Council, Los Angeles, another live cast with our guests this morning, Professor David Warburton and Jonathan Cowley from Corniche Travel. This is a recorded message and it will be sent out afterwards and you will see all the details from this and you'll be able to listen to it again. Gentlemen, I just want to thank you so much for coming along and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.